reading today from the Gospel according to Luke and from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. First from Luke. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And from Corinthians. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so those are who are of the earth. As is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, as the la at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well done to stand for that entire reading. I don't know who picked that. <laughs> On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Have you ever, have you ever been on a walk like this? Of course, I don't mean the exact details, but a, a walk that means it's over. Jesus had been arrested in secret. He had been dragged through a false trial. He had been mobbed by hatred. The group that had shouted Hosanna later shouted crucify him. He'd been brutally beaten, led out of the city, and then publicly humiliatingly executed. These women had witnessed it. They saw him asphyxiate to death 
exposed on a Roman cross. And I know I have on a pink tie, but at the time, nothing could have been more final. All the light of their friend, of this possible Messiah, went out. All the hope that had been growing went dark. How much, how much promise had they hung on his teaching? Can you imagine a month before, six months before, two years before? How many people had they seen come alive in a new way around this man? How many had they seen healed? Remember the one they dug through the roof and they lowered the guy in front of Jesus, the one who couldn't walk, and then he walked? And, and, and remember the one who Jesus spit in the mud and put it on his eyes and somehow he could see? And remember the time when people didn't have enough to eat and then Jesus fed everybody and they collected, they collected baskets full? Remember those stories? But it was personal as well. They themselves knew what it was to be loved, to have their name called, to be forgiven, to be welcomed in. To be taught to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. They knew a little bit about on earth as it is in heaven. They had seen it. They had hoped he was Messiah, the Savior. What could they have thought now? It is all gone. They had seen him hammered into a fixed place, left to die. No more options. It was over. They saw it end. And now two nights have passed. You ever had to endure a night that was too long, where sleep wouldn't come, where questions mounted, where fear was around every thought corner? We might wonder how they have slept. The other disciples are gone, 12, the 11 now, uh, the names, the ones with the names that we know, they're hiding somewhere behind locked doors. So what is left? There's just duty, ceremony, the type of ritual that we do as human beings to begin moving on, that that cold walk of pre-dawn. Carrying spices, muscles aching, soul parched, nothing really left to say. Just breath and footsteps in the morning. The last formalities of honor for a life that is gone. And as it so often seems to happen, the women are the ones who show up to take care of it. So have you ever done a walk like this? Have you ever had an it's all gone moment? Have you, ever, have you ever cried until you're out of breath and cried until you're out of tears and you just kind of feel hollow? There's like this little sort of hum in your soul but nothing much else. Have you ever walked away from a gravesite? For some reason in the park this morning at sunrise I was thinking about my own dad's funeral, and it was an occasion. It was a, a Southern Baptist affair. There was 88 sermons, I think. Uh, uh, it was 12 hours long. Every story he ever lived had been told. Uh, it was, it, and, then, and that was just the first half. Then we went out to the gravesite. And like every psalm was read, and we're sitting there. And my dad had served in the military, and so they're getting to the part where they're going to uh, fold up the flag and hand it to my mom. And two veterans who are also uh, leaders in, our, in my home church uh, are going to do this very beautiful formal military ceremony where they fold the flag. Have you ever seen that? It's, it's so moving. Well, it had been quite a few years since these gentlemen had served. <laughs> and there's quite a, a few number of steps involved in this process. This, do not try this on your own. And so they get the flag extended, and they start the process, and you can just see them recognize in each other's eyes, we are lost. (laughs) Just. And I'm thinking about his service and his life and my mom and the tears and 26 years of marriage, and I'm also looking at these two men who I know. One of them was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, and the other one was the music minister in our church who famously could not sing. (laughs) 
trying to fold up this flag and how awkward it is. How painful it is. This world that we live in is mixed with death. Have you ever sat in the silence after a diagnosis that you couldn't believe? Have you ever looked at the ink after you've signed a divorce paper? Have you ever felt racked by anxiety or smothered in depression? Have you ever said something like, what on earth is my life? How am I here? I don't know how long they had to walk carrying these spices, but I wonder if the question, how did I get here, ever crossed their mind? And I honestly think, I mean, the angels, I'm not going to say this to their face, but we might need to work on their people skills a little bit. The first thing they said to these women after everything they'd been through is, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I'm sure that's not how they said it. Armstead read it much better. But all due respect, they're not looking for the living among the dead. They came looking for the dead among the dead. They're in a gravesite. They're at the tomb. And then they hear it. So unexpected. We put on our pink ties. We know the end of the story. But for them in this moment, this is the last possible thing they could have thought they were going to hear and what do they hear he is not here he is risen seven words that change the world he is not here he is risen amen we have our own we have our own seven word confession a couple of thousand years later right he is risen come on we're going to do this a couple of times he is risen And what is going to ripple out across the world, across history from this moment with these women in this garden? It truly is going to change everything. That's true even if you don't believe in Jesus. If you kind of want nothing to do with his claims and you think, you know, that religion is sort of this straitjacket of morality that you want nothing to do with. No matter what, this moment in the garden really does like historically undeniably change the world. But we're so used to protecting ourselves from overpromises, we're the you know the most marketed two generation in history, and so used to protecting ourselves from overpromises that we kind of guard our hearts, and we might not let ourselves really hear He is risen for all that it's worth. A couple of decades after this moment, once this movement of Jesus was literally starting to sweep across the world and, and take root in, in cities and these communities of love, this, this Jewish teacher named Saul who became Paul, um, he, he became a follower of Jesus in a really unexpected way. He was trying to summarize uh, what, what, what happened here, and that's where you get the imperishable, perishable, clothed with mortality, death is swallowed up in victory. But essentially, right in the heart of that, he says, listen, let me tell you a mystery. A man was dead, but he isn't now. A whole new way of life has begun. It changes everything it touches. Just a little bit up from this letter, we couldn't read all of 1 Corinthians, though I tried. Uh, Just a bit up from the section we read, Paul is basically giving a summary of the gospel, and I want you to hear it this Easter morning. For what I received, I passed on to you As of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He's like, get out there, talk to these people. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul is doing something. He's laying out this mystery, and then he's telling how he became a part of it. And this is, this is uh, something followers of Jesus have been doing ever since that first Easter morning. They've been uh, laying out the mystery, and then they've been talking about how they became a part of it. Have you ever had something so fantastic happen, and you try to, to recount the story, and you imagine the, fir- the, like the first accounts were basically like, he, we went, and he was there, we had the spices, and he wasn't in there, and he's gone. A mystery. 
And then later you recount how, how it went from there. Oh, when he said my name in the garden, I recognized him. When he showed up and spoke peace to us, I recognized him. You and I, we're talking about this mystery. We're trying to stammer through it, but we're also trying to find our access point. How does this story come crashing into your life? Paul says this is the story God has always been telling, of first importance, that Christ died according to the scriptures. Someone had to deal with the brokenness of the world. In fact, someone did. Jesus died to repair the break between us and God from which all the brokenness of the world had flowed out. To forgive any sin, think of that. To win a victory over death. You've heard it so many times, but can you hear it fresh? We know it worked. Because he rose from the, from the dead. And then he, he appeared to a bunch of people. This, this letter, 1 Corinthians, is one of the earliest letters written to the New Testament church. So people who had actually seen Jesus resurrected would have received this letter. Now, if you circulate a public document that says, we're not taking this resurrection on faith. We saw him. Go talk to the people who saw him. And, and then you could actually do that. You would expect if the resurrection hadn't happened that this movement would have significantly diminished. And yet it literally takes off like wildfire. In 300 years, the entire Roman Empire had been transformed by this small band of this sort of Jewish sect of people who were saying, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord, because we saw him alive after he was dead. Untrained fishermen, these, these very women transforming the world. Here's the mystery and here's my place in it. The message of Easter isn't just that Jesus rose from the dead sometime in the past. That's great. The message of Easter is, as mysterious as it is, that that Jesus is here right now, is present in this space by his spirit to make us alive in the very same way that he is alive. He is here to offer us resurrection. And I know you expected me to say that. I have the pink tie on. Very nice of you to mention, Pastor. How does it work? I'll just, I'll just run through a couple. I, 16 years I heard this exact same story, and my eyes glazed over. I had to be there. And then one time I went to a youth group event, and I was planning to get high with my best friend immediately afterwards. We had everything we needed to do so. I was there only because I had a crush, a crush on this girl named Rebecca. And somehow in this bizarre youth service, no one preached. They sang the worst songs. They did several very bad skits. <laughs> this is what happened. But somehow through that, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you know the life you're living is less than you're meant for. And somehow something I had heard for 16 years. How many times have you heard it? finally came through and shook my heart, finally broke through and, and made me alive. We, we, we do this course, Alpha, that introduces people to the basics of the Christian faith. And there's this woman's story on the videos, Jackie Pullinger. Maybe you know something about her. She's, she's written some books about her work. But um, when Jackie Pullinger, uh, she sensed the same voice of Jesus when she was in this nice, polite Anglican service at like 13 years old. And then a few years later, when she was 21, she boarded a ship with basically all that she had, and she said, wherever God you tell me to get off the ship, I'm gonna get off. And she, she, she booked a passage on the ship that got off as many places as she could go. She, she felt led to disembark in Hong Kong. She ends up in this place called, called Kulun. I'm saying that wrong, 100%. But she begins working there with, 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 with kids on the street, and she, begins, she builds this youth center. She works with, for over the next decades of her life. She works to, to see people set free from, from bondage to, to, to drug addiction. And she, just, she talks about having a soft heart and hard feet. And she just served her, her guts out. She's like one of those Mother Teresa-type stories. The African philosopher Augustine, he heard the voice of this very same spirit drawing him, saying, take up and read this book. And he was drawn into the story of Jesus, this mystery. He, he famously said, you've heard it a million times. You made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
On this very same Sunday, on Easter morning in Montgomery, Alabama in 1957, Dr. King is giving an Easter sermon. He says, Easter comes ringing out in terms that we all hear if, if we seek to hear it. That the soul of humanity is immortal. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have fit testimony that this earthly life is not the end. That death is just something of a turn in the road. That life moves down a continual moving river. And that death is just a little turn in the river. That this earthly life is, a, is merely an embryonic prelude to a, a, to a new awakening. That death is not a period which ends this great sentence of life, but a comma that punctuates it to a more loftier significance. Whew! That is what it says. That is the meaning of Easter. One of the first people to come to faith in Trinity Grace uh, was riding his bike home from church. Um, we, we met just down the road in the evening at this, at this point. And he was headed to a lost season finale party. So just situate yourself in television history there. You guys remember Lost? What was the smoke monster? Let's have a small group and discuss what that was about. Um, but this guy... I just heard the message, this, this same thing you're hearing, he had just heard about the resurrection of Jesus and he's riding to this TV, TV party on his bicycle in Brooklyn and he pulls over to the side of the road and one of the first people we baptize at this church stops right there on the side of the road and prays and asks this Jesus to make this resurrection real in his life. Every single moment of this morning, and we're not going to, could be given to telling the stories. All types of people from all walks of life so many ways of coming to this story. So many ways of entering and hearing. He's not here. He is risen. Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. I want to give you this mystery in three parts. A man that was, that was dead. Stop being dead. That's part one. <laughs> a new type of living has begun. Nothing is wasted in the resurrection life. So first, let's look at this mystery. A dead man stopped being dead. We have, we have an incredible world. Let's, let's be honest about that first. The, the scripture doesn't begin with bad news. It begins with incredibly good news. Uh, a, 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 a teeming, a, a abundant, beautiful world. And, and a God at the heart, you know, creating like an artist. We have so much potential. Take a walk in, in the spring, right? Uh, the weather has no idea what it's doing right now, right? Yesterday is 65. Today, Easter sunrise service is 41. And, and we're freezing, but, but we're, we're out there this morning, the sun is coming up over the tree line and the birds are singing and, and dogs are running into the, the middle of the circle and running around our feet and, and you can just feel the crispness of the morning. Literally, packs of men in Lycra are bicycling by in a Peloton in a race. This is what's happening out there, folks. Have you ever smelled the top of a newborn baby's head? Don't be weird, but it's amazing. You walk past a restaurant, you see a group of friends laughing at a meal. You, 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 you've been there when a, at a moment when an artist truly captures the soul of something and helps you understand what it means to be a human being. You watch an act of unprovoked kindness. It is good to be alive. It's easy to forget that in our world sometimes, right? Bad news you know, gets ratings, but it is good to be alive. But we have to be honest. We're not here selling something, even though I have this tie on. Everything in our world has been touched by death. My, my mom got married during the pandemic. Um, I, I, did the, I did the service. Um, never, never thought that would ha happen, you know? Like, what a, what a wild turn of events. Um, it was a gorgeous day by a lake in South Carolina. It was a beautiful moment. We had great food. We, we danced. We were surrounded by love. The kids were twirling on the dance floor. But I had this moment that kept coming back to me even during that day. And it was standing by my father's bedside as the machines ticked down on a Sunday morning telling us that his time was up. And my mom cracking open the, the Baptist hymnal after 26 years of being married and singing on Christ's solid rock I stand loud in the hospital. I knew what had been lost and I'm also there celebrating. This is the picture of what it is to be alive. 
There were many people who couldn't be there in the celebration. Literally, some people were on a pontoon boat off the, off the shore of the lake clapping because they couldn't be there because of the pandemic. It's such a picture of life in this world. It is beautiful. It's teeming. It's abundant. It's glorious. It's, it's tinged with death. Reality is breaking through. There's illness. There's fear. There's betrayal. There's brokenness. My, my dad ha- had a thing for uh, Russian novelists and... Uh, this reality of death got under Tolstoy's skin in a way that he couldn't shake. And, and he says this, my question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? We can't ignore it, right? Tolstoy's Russia is a, are violent invaders right now in Ukraine. We can't, we can't ignore it. Our everyday commute was interrupted this very week, shocking violence on the R train. We have this ache in our soul for goodness, but we also know reality. And at the very beginning, what Easter is about is a man that was dead isn't anymore. That's simple reality. It is the reversal of a tragedy. This is the tragedy of the human experience that our, all our friendship, all our love, all our joy, all our hope, all our beauty and healing, all of it have a stopping point. That stopping point is death. But what if someone came to that stopping point and went on? Because you see, in that case, you would be getting it all back and then some in some untouchable form because the friendship, the love, the the hope, the joy, and the beauty could go on and they could go on in a place that has transcended death. In the most human sense, on Easter morning, a son, a friend, a teacher, a, a walking miracle had died on Friday. And everything in all of our experiences, that is it. But on Easter morning, we get something else. This friend who they have come to mourn is not there. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. And it wasn't simply that this 33-year-old man at one point in history had come back His coming back demonstrated the truth that he is God in the flesh and that he has won a victory that we can all share. And so it's the reversal of a tragedy and it's the beginning of a victory. We say this type of thing all the time in church that Jesus, you know, uh, being alive on Easter means he's beaten sin and death and judgment. But I want you just to consider for just a few moments what on earth that means. Something has ripped up the world. Something makes the bad news bad news in, in, in our world so that we even talk in terms of needing a victory. Sin and death and evil and judgment. The, scripture, the scripture's message about sin is not that it makes you bad, though it might, it does. It's that it makes you dead. Sin doesn't make you bad, it makes makes you dead. It It tears up community, it fractures love, it enthrones selfishness. A way to say it is, it's us as human beings trying to meet the deep needs of our life while ignoring God. It's trying to meet the deepest needs of our soul out of just our own resources. And what happens is, it kills us spiritually, and so we have to be brought back to life. This is the gospel, John John Stott, may he rest in peace, said, sin is when we substitute ourselves for God. God. We substitute ourselves for God, and the gospel is that God has substituted himself for us. Jesus took our sin on the cross. He became sin for us. He faced death for us, the very death that should be our our stopping point. He faced it and went on. He took a judgment that should have been our own. Last week we said, he died saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus had simply died, then we could call him hero, martyr, inspiration, maybe even revolutionary. But because he raised from the dead, we call him savior. 
He won this victory over sin, death, and judgment. So, great. You've heard that before. This means that anyone who comes to Jesus in faith is ultimately not going to be defined by sin and death and judgment. This is gospel, church. In Christ, your life doesn't have to be defined by sin, death, and judgment. You will face them, but with Christ, you will come back from them all. He, he, he was covered with our sin, taken down by our death, and came under the full weight of judgment. But if you go to look for him in those tombs, he is not there. He is risen. And that takes us to the second part of the mystery, this, this, this reality, this, this mystery that a new type of living has begun. A couple of decades later to a city church in Corinth, Paul's trying to make sense of this, and he says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I don't think I understood this for a lot of my life coming on Easter and, and hearing uh, the, you know, about Jesus' resurrection. I, I always put it in terms of only the past, that Jesus' resurrection meant that, his, that what happened on the cross was what worked and that he was victorious and that that forgiveness was, was uh, an option to us. I didn't realize that the very same life that Jesus lives, resurrected from the grave, is the life that is, is meant to come and define my very life. That, that, that it's not just like I'm hoping for one future day off in the distance, but actually the very life of Christ is meant to come and shape our life. The resurrection life began for Jesus, but he has made it clear that it is meant to be our life as well. So if we're going to hear this, honestly, let, I mean, 16 years, I just remember my mind glazing over when I heard this type of thing. If we're going to hear this story like it isn't some religious fairy tale with our favorite flavor of kind of vague inspiration, we need to be honest about the world, honest about what on earth it would be, mean to live this new type of, of life. So let me ask you, what kind of world do we have? Well, I, said, I said earlier that death has touched everything beautiful. We, we were honest about it. We live in a, a conflicted world. There's beauty, there's pain, but there's potential. There's threat, there's joy, there's agony, there's war, violence, pandemic, racism, poverty. There's new birth, there's spring, there's love, there's joy, there's feasts. Here's one of the hardest realities to contend with. Love is very often obscured. How many of you have all the love in your life you, you, you could possibly want? For many of us, we feel tremendously lacking in deep connection to God and to one another. We often find it's not quite what I had hoped for. There's things that I, I, I'm still profoundly feeling this, this lack. And so what happens is our life can become a way of coping. Instead of thriving, we find ways to distract ourselves or to, you know, purchase, you know, a, 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 few, a, few, a few days of, of, of new opportunities or hope for ourselves or, or this vacation is going to be the thing that does it or this or this, maybe this relationship. And so the, the, suddenly we get discipled into this idea that the best we can hope for is sort of a temporary fix, a temporary escape. Our vision of the future, if we're really honest, is often challenged and bleak. One of the measurements of the health of a society is, is how are our kids doing? And, and the news is not wonderful on, on this front. There's an article in The Atlantic just this week. The United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who said they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%, according to a new CDC study. This is the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. How are we doing? Is the soil of the world we're living in nutrient enough to grow a robust life that bears the fruit that we're longing for? What is it producing really? It's taken for granted 
right? This, uh, this American dream, this, this way that we live, the sort of like dismissal of faith as, as a, 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 ch- a child's fairy tale. There's uh, so many things that we just take for granted, but what, is the, what life is being produced? Our comparison levels are at an all-time high. Our distraction levels are at an all-time high. We know about so many things in the world that we can't do anything about. Well, it's like so weird, isn't it? We should acknowledge it's like, my aunt got a new haircut. Someone died in a building in Ukraine. Someone shot up the, sub, the subway. Here's a new uh, protein that's better than the o- other protein that you're using. Here's some new di- you know, diet things. Uh, th- Jimmy Kimmel said this, like, all in like 30 seconds, how on earth are you supposed to even begin to care? And so what happens is like, we slowly begin to numb down. We begin to shrink into this space made for us by, 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 by the world. Many of us are living cut off from God, and we feel this in so many different ways. Jesus is saying, I have risen from the dead, not just as an event in in the past, but so that you can have a share in this type of life. I just want to tell you what that type of life looks like very quickly. The first, and none of these are going to be unexpected to you. It's Easter. I don't have any new stuff. I'm like, here's a new take on Jonah. Now we're talking about Jesus and the resurrection. Here's the qualities of the new life Jesus is offering you. The first is it's forgiven. It's a, it's a life of, of forgiveness, to be swimming in, to be defined by, to, to, to drink in forgiveness like living water. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That means, and I just want to say this, this is gospel church, you do not need to add a single thing to what Jesus has done on the cross to offer you forgiveness. Not your best intentions, not all of your promises, not not 25 years of living righteously, not a a big tithe to this church. It is finished. Every single thing necessary for you to be reconciled to God has been done by Jesus on the cross. Your redemption is accomplished. Here's the thing. When we live in a world that convinces us we don't need forgiveness, we rob ourselves of tremendous joy. We think, we, 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 self-expression is amazing, but when you make self-expression everything, when you make it God, and then that means nothing you do can be labeled wrong, you don't need forgiveness anymore, and you rob yourself of the tremendous joy of, of what forgiveness is, and you sort of harden into the smaller version of yourself. We are not very good at forgiving as a society. We struggle to believe in God's mercy, but then... If we're honest, let, never mind God. So many of us, we don't even live up to the standards we have for ourselves. And so I live with this little ticker tape of shame. Never mind God's standards. I'm not doing what I want to do. And we cancel each other to show how right we are. We struggle to sustain love, and so we keep lessening what it means. Many of us, I don't have to convince you, you regularly know the voice of shame blaring in your heart. We need to know forgiveness. This is the life Jesus is offering us. It is finished. For true forgiveness to happen, someone has to bear the, the, the cost. In a human relationship, we see this. If you're going to forgive someone, you have to bear the cost of what they did to you in order to offer them forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus is bearing the cost. In my house, it's Easter morning. I'm ironing my pants. My kids are fighting over balls. I'm like, I take away your phone forever. This happened today. I took it and I hid it under one of my sweaters. You shall never see this phone again. Do not bark at your, your little brother. He's six. Give him the ball. And we have to go back and work this out. We have to bear the cost of this little ripple in our relationships. On the cross, Jesus is bearing the full weight of every human sin on himself. That's what it is finished means. The second quality of this life is that we're united. We're forgiven so we can be united. It's not just about being clean and moral. It is about being embraced. 
God says, I'm not gonna change my holiness at all. I'm gonna keep the fullness of who I am intact and I'm gonna come and fully embrace you and bring you all the way in. And in order for that to happen, first you gotta be forgiven. So let's deal with all the sin that would keep you separated from me and now I'm gonna hold you to myself and in that embrace, I'm gonna change you to be like me and to be the truest version of yourself. You are forgiven and you are united to God. What is wrong is removed so you can be embraced. Death is swallowed up in victory so our union with God can be experienced. Church, you are meant to be filled with the life of God. Please don't settle for something less than that. Even if you don't wanna hear it from me, go find someone you can hear it from. You are meant to be filled with the life of God. And Jesus shows us the surrender he's willing to go, go through to make that happen. And here's one of the places, that, one of the rubs for us is that we also need to, to surrender to this reality. Many of you mentally agree to it, but your will has not been surrendered. Many of you love the, many of us think by agreeing with something, we've done something. We think by celebrating the resurrection, we've participated in the resurrection, but we're still got this fibrous, stubborn thing in the, in the center of our hearts that says, yes, God, but my will is actually gonna rule on Tuesday. Thank you very much. Jesus is showing us the forgiveness so, uh, so we can be united, but he's fully surrendering to the reality of this love. He fully immerses himself into the will of the Father. Some of us are paying lip service to surrender, and we're wondering why we don't ever experience the joy of the Christian faith. You're like, it must not work. No, we just haven't let go. We just haven't let go. We just haven't taken up our cross. Sometimes we think Jesus did the cross for us, so... We're just gonna go about over here being forgiven and we miss the joy of the union. The joy of the union comes in daily denying ourselves and surrendering to the love of God, surrendering to the direction of God, literally putting my will in his hands, learning to pray Jesus' prayer, not my will but yours be done. It's in the surrender that leads to joy. You are forgiven, you are united, but church, let's not miss it. Let's move into this surrender. And i tell you why it's worth it. Because the third quality of this life is it's unending. Every shallow promise that this world has made you, <laughs> that you have rightfully hardened your heart and mind against so that you're not duped, so you're not naive, so you're not foolish. Jesus is making a promise and saying, literally, the goodness of, of, of my kingdom will never end. When the perishable has been, these are complicated sentences. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? I cannot wait to talk about them folding the flag wrong with my dad when this is all over. I can't wait. We're going to laugh about it. This is something he would just crack up. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We all know the, the sting of death. Let's not pretend. But Easter is saying it's not the end. Dr. King's Easter words, you, you remember what he said? Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have a fit testimony that this earthly life is not the end, that death is just something of a turn in the road, that life moves down a continual moving river and that death is just a little turn in the river and that this earthly life is merely an embryonic prelude to a new awakening, that death is not a period, which ends this great sentence, but a comma that punctuates it to, more, to a more loftier significance. Timer says I got one minute, 13 seconds. I'm going to lean on your Easter grace and go one or two minutes beyond that, but not much. We are so close to done. You guys are doing great. Give yourselves a hand. And Jesus, it's Easter. This life is unending. It's also victorious. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our, George, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. We were talking about this at sunrise this morning, uh, about, you know, the story we tell the kids, like David and Goliath. And we, we mess that story up sometimes because we're like, it's about short people and they can, they can you know, face big people or, or you got a big obstacle in your life, you can conquer it or all you need is these five smooth stones and they stand for integrity, compassion. What? Like, 
This story is about one man going out and winning a victory that everyone else shares in. He faces the enemy of the people of God and everyone shares in the victory that he wins. When Jesus comes on the scene, he goes into the wilderness at the beginning of Lent and he faces the enemy of the people of God. He goes to the cross and he faces the enemy of the people of God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's facing the enemy of the people of God. He's the one who tears apart our faith and tears apart our hearts and, and, and lies to us and, and, and heaps shame on us and speaks accusation to us. He goes and he faces the enemy of the people of God and he wins a victory that you all can share in. You don't have to win the victory. You can stand in Jesus' victory. That means victory over any sin or habit that holds you down. Any pattern of thought or behavior, any disconnection, any death of love, any accusation from the enemy of our souls, any judgment. We are free. Do you know this today? Are you living free? If not, let's get a little Easter. Are you living free? The forgiven, united, unending, victorious life that Jesus walked out of the grave to say, here, it is yours. Share in it. Live. And the last thing, very short point, is the third piece of this mystery is that nothing is wasted in the resurrection life. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. On Easter, I'm about to cry. Uh, on Easter, we talk to people who are new because it's a day where people visit sometimes. So we don't know where everyone is on the faith spectrum. And that is, so, if you are totally doubting God and Jesus, you are so welcome in this church to go on that journey of exploration. We would love to have you. But just for a minute, I want to talk to those of you who walk in faith. I want to talk to those of you who, who have been united to Jesus. You are living this forgiven, united, uh, unending, victorious life. I want to say this to you. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, even in Brooklyn, even in 2022, even at the end of this pandemic, even in the middle of a war, even with a shooting in our city this week, even with the violence, even with the craziness, even with the racism, even with the nonsense, even with the, the bastardization of the Christian faith in the public eye in America, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jackie? G? Lim? Not in vain. Kyle? Whitney? I'm shouting people. Stand firm, hang on. Resurrection is coming. We are going to be united to this Jesus. We are living now in a foretaste. May his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Nothing that you do in the resurrection life of Jesus is wasted. Every step of faith, every act of obedience, every song sung, every tear shed, every secret act of generosity, everything that you think nobody saw, he sees. It's going to bear real fruit. The stories that we celebrate here are nothing like the stories we're going to celebrate there. There are these out-of-the-way things that nobody saw. They got no likes. And heaven was applauding. The way of Jesus lived in real sacrificial love. It's worth it. Carry those spices to the tomb exhausted and find out he's not here. He's risen. None of your labor is going to be in vain. One of my favorite theologians says, how God will take our prayer, our art, our love, our writing, our political action, our music, our honesty, our daily work, our pastoral care, our teaching, our whole selves, how God will take this and weave its varied strands into the glorious tapestry of his new creation, we can at present have no idea. That he will do it is a part of the truth of the resurrection and, and perhaps one of its most comforting parts. So church, on Easter, surprise, surprise, I want to invite you to come to the resurrected Jesus, to come to him, and then I want to invite you to live resurrection, to live this forgiven, united, victorious, unending life to live it by faith, 
on Wednesday, two years from now, ten years from now, the next time you're walking away from a gravesite, the next time you're sitting with someone holding their hand in a hospital, the next time you're trying to, to manage, should I be the one to, to apologize first? When you're trying to go back to your child and say, I'm sorry, I, control, I try to control your behavior with anger. I'm still figuring this out. I make mistakes all the time. When, when, you, when you keep back generosity because you need to protect yourself, when, when, when you, you fall for American respectability, when you believe the, the lies of our political system and, and, and you miss the God he's not here he's risen you're forgiven you can be united it is unending it is victorious it is in Christ he walked out of the tomb to give you this life let's come to Jesus and be resurrected come to Jesus and be resurrected and then let's live resurrection together we're just getting started we got a whole Easter tide to swim in this beauty we put something like this on the screen la last week, um, but I just wanna keep offering this because um, there's like a DTR that sometimes happens where you define your relationship with God. You've been exploring, you, you've had moments of faith, but you're like, I want to know what that surrender looks like. These are words that you can pray to offer yourself to God and to experience and receive his salvation. Lord Jesus, I receive your love. I accept your mercy. Forgive me for going my own way. Give me your life and salvation. Let me share in your resurrection. Come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I trust you. May your will be done. Amen. We're just gonna leave that there for a few minutes. And I wanna pray for you. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray you would do the ministry of Jesus in this place. The things that only you can do Forgive us, God. Let us know we are one with you, united. Show us our future with you forever. Let us share. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that victory would be dancing all over this place this morning. I pray you would, you would bring people into freedom. I pray you would break off shame, break off despair, break off lies, God. Anything that has held us captive in the tomb, may we walk out this morning knowing the stone has been rolled away, that it is finished, that we have life and life in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.